two-thirds of Americans are at risk to experience a blackout. Are you ready to protect your family? You could be with the Patriot Power Solar Generator 2000X. This new solar generator has double the capacity and is expandable, so you can run the big appliances like your fridge even longer. Best of all, this new solar generator is fume-free, safe to use inside, and never needs gas, ever. Over 150,000 Americans trust Patriot Power Generators. Go to 4Patriots.com tutor to get your solar generator now. You'll even get a solar panel included free. Go to 4Patriots.com tutor. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Buck Sexton, and you're listening to the Tudor Dixon Podcast, part of the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Podcast Network. Welcome to the Tudor Dixon Podcast. First and foremost, we are praying for our brothers and sisters in Israel. As you know, Hamas carried out the worst terror attack on Israel in its history. These monsters kidnapped children, women, and elderly, then posted pictures and videos of them on social media. They are now threatening to broadcast the brutal murders of innocent children. Israel is at war. And yet, there are no rules in a war with terrorists. These are war crimes, and they are crimes against one of our greatest allies. I want to be clear. Any American siding with Hamas in this conflict is a traitor to our country, to our way of life, and to our freedom. We sit safely in our homes, unaware of how many terrorists have slipped into our own country under this irresponsible administration. An open border puts us in as much danger as Israel. These monsters are out there chanting, gas the Jews and death to America. There can be no mercy for terrorists. Americans who are confused about this put all of us in danger. Elected officials who waver should be voted out of office. To discuss this in more detail, I am pleased to welcome and have with me today the former spokesperson for the U.S. Department of State and founder of Polaris National Security, also an intelligence officer in the U.S. Navy Reserves, Morgan Ortegas. Thank you. Thank you so much for talking to us about this in such a sad day here in the United States and in the world. Yeah, Tudor, thank you so much for having me on and and for highlighting this. Um, It has been an incredibly emotional a few days. I was actually supposed to be in Israel right now. I, I landed in Qatar and I was in the Middle East. 
I landed Saturday morning, didn't sleep on the flight, got to my hotel and thought, okay, I'm going to crash for a few hours and, and get some rest. And I looked down at my phone and I thought, what am I seeing here? You know, you're so used to, unfortunately, it's, it's kind of easy to get desensitized. You're so used to Hamas, you know, uh, doing some sort of terror attack uh, against Israel, but nothing of this scale. And as it started to unfold and we saw how bad these attacks uh, are, you know, every day it gets worse. I think, first of all, you made such a great point about, you know, people who would try and side with Hamas. Uh, listen, there, there is no justification. There's no excusing this. There's no, well, let's talk about both sides of the issue. None of that. There was a massive terrorist attack where the most Jews were killed since the Holocaust. And that one's in that and those attacks on Saturday uh, that should spur all of us to action that should trouble all of us uh, to know that we have constantly said never again. And unfortunately, never again happened over the weekend. Some of the reports, Tudor, that I'm seeing this morning and I, it, I think, you know, you're a mother. I'm a mother. I don't want to I want to look away. I don't want to talk about yeah. this, but we must. And uh, I-24, which is an Israeli cable news channel, um, had uh, firsthand reporting from some IDF soldiers who went in to, uh, uh, to, to rid a kibbutz uh, that uh, Hamas militants had taken over the kibbutz. And so whenever they were able finally to, you know, to gain it back, to take it away from the, from the terrorists, um, they found bodies of 40 dead babies, not adults, not teenagers, Tudor, babies. And I'm also sad to report that some of those babies were decapitated. That's who we're dealing with. I mean, how how can when when you say these things, when we hear these stories, like I said, this is not war. These are war crimes. This yeah. is not a situation where you have two countries battling over uh, having a regular war over land or a dispute. This is disgusting. They are going in that the paratroopers that came in and started just massacring people who were at a music festival. I know we've all heard the stories from that. We've heard the stories of the young woman who ran for two hours and then hid for six hours while they were watching and listening to their friends be shot and murdered in front of them. The children that have been taken. And, and I think that we need to point out that this is different than anything we have ever seen before because we are seeing it so up close and personal. Personal. And are we this desensitized that there are people who are OK with these rallies for Palestine, these rallies that are are praising Hamas in the United States? And do you not fear the fact that these same people who are chanting death to America are sitting in your cities right now? They are holding rallies right now in support of people who who are willing to decapitate babies. Let's just put that out there. As gruesome and as horrifying as it is, you need to know exactly who you're out there cheering for if this is what you're doing. That's absolutely right. I, I don't know how you could cheer for terrorism. You know, that, and that's what you're doing. You're cheering for terrorists. You know, we have freedom of speech in this country, so you're allowed to have these rallies, but we should also be able to expose it, to shine a light on it as you were doing. And let me first of all say that I felt um, an enormous support, enormous outpouring from the American people. Um, people are, are horrified. And I just want to thank, you know, you and your listeners um, for standing with the Jewish people in solidarity. You know, last night before I went to bed, um, which I haven't really been sleeping, but last night before I went to bed, 
I thought to myself, I didn't think it would be possible to feel the way I did after 9-11. For me, 9-11 happened when I was in college. It totally changed the trajectory, the course of my life. I obviously ended up going into national security and uh, intelligence and foreign policy positions over the last uh, 20 years since then. Um, and I, I, I didn't think it would be possible to feel that way again. And, and that's really, you know, for, for me and, and so many um, of your Jewish friends and people who are listening, you know, to know, you know, you know, theoretically, uh, that people want to kill you or want to kill your family because you're Jewish, right? Like, we know that because we saw the Holocaust. And, and, but to know that that type of hate um, still exists today, you know, I'm, I, I said this yesterday uh, on air, uh, you know, I'm lucky, so lucky to live in the United States because if my almost three year old daughter was in Israel today or other places in the world, uh, you know, terrorists would want to kill her, my little girl, simply because she is Jewish. Um, that's hard for me to stomach. But and, and I will say, I, I, I read this last night. I forget who tweeted it because I've been reading so much news. But Tudor, you know, a, a Jewish woman said, I, I spent my whole life wondering how the world could have watched the Holocaust happen. And they just stood by. And I no longer wonder that. And, and I while I didn't say that originally, someone else did. Uh, that's exactly how I feel today. When you see these rallies that you're talking about, you when you see people excusing and sort of all sizing, you know, acts, blatant acts of some of the worst terrorism. I mean, this is, this is stuff that makes ISIS look like a cakewalk, right? I mean, they look, right, they right. make ISIS look humane. And when you see that, and when you are able to excuse it, just because you simply hate somebody for their religion or their ethnicity, it's, it makes sense how the Holocaust happened to be frank. I think there's also a naivete in the United States. We do feel safe. We are ignorant to the fact that this kind of stuff goes on around the world and the dangers of people who are in, if they've become, you know, in, indoctrinated or they've become, you know, they're, they're embedded in these terrorist cells. I think we're, we are ignorant to the fact that this exists, but when you have elected officials who are ignorant to the fact that this exists. And I think some of our elected officials that have come out on the side of Hamas are obviously that they've made it clear where they stand and they are dangerous and they should be voted out. Others who have wavered, like Gretchen Whitmer, who came out and said that she has talked to people who are in, in affected communities. We don't know what communities those are and that she hopes that peace can come to the region. Just the amount of ignorance that that statement put out, it, it to me, it totally disqualifies her to even be in office, that she has no idea that she is even giving way a little bit to terrorism. And I, I think that people really are confused by the fact that this is truly a terrorist organization that is willing to do anything. And I do think that people have forgotten about the Holocaust. We've been talking about this for years. The fact that schools do not even want to educate young people on what happened, on how horrible the crimes were during World War II. And remember a few years ago, we went and interviewed some survivors in Florida. And, you know, these folks had, had survived through these concentration camps, the, the most horrific things you can imagine. And as I walked out, this woman who was sitting in her chair in her apartment in Florida, who was a, an elderly woman, grabbed my arm as I walked out the door. And I'll never forget her doing this because she looked at me 
with so much anger in her eyes. And she said, they'll do it again because they hate the Jews. And even then, having grown up in this country, I thought, oh, it'll never happen again. Here we are. You know, the thing about the governor from your state, I, I happen to be, you know, I'm reading so much news and, and I happen to scroll past right after she posted that statement before it kind of blew up and she got criticism. And I thought, wow, there's two big words missing from your statement, Governor, Jews and terrorism. She couldn't call it terrorism. Like what's an affected community? Say what we are, Governor. We're, we're Jews. You can say the word. Like that is the effect. Well, community. she was including two different communities in that, just to be clear. Yeah. I, we, we know exactly what she was doing. Yeah, totally. I, I agree. But you know what? These are the moments when politicians show us who they really are. And, mm -hmm. and it, it is the it is the statements like, you know, listen, I was a spokesperson for Secretary Mike Pompeo. Um, I get how, how much, you know, a, a politician's or a principal's staff will go through and edit what you're going to say. Right. Like everybody goes back and forth. what the statement should what the statement should be. So you think that not only was her, that was her top team that thought it was OK not to say the word Jewish and not to say the word terrorism. Um, you know, I don't know who they were trying to appeal to politically, um, but at a moment whenever uh, the American people in the world need clarion calls of truth uh, and need crystal clear truth, um, she chose to be an, a vague. And, and the Jewish people will remember in these moments who stood by them and who didn't. We will remember. Let's take a quick commercial break. We'll continue next on the Tudor Dixon podcast. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, 
Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And it's not just the Israeli community. We have 11 Americans over there who have been Absolutely. killed. We don't Absolutely. know if there are other Americans amongst these hostages. We just don't know. This is an attack against America as well. Absolutely. I'm, yes. Thank you for bringing that up. Um, to my knowledge, let's see, it's Tuesday. Is it Tuesday? Yes, it's Tuesday. Yes. I, I have been traveling from the Middle East, so apologies to your listeners. Um, we haven't heard from the vice president since Friday night. Uh, yesterday, it was confirmed that first nine Americans and then it went up to 11 Americans. The White House called a lid. Uh, what that means, and and not people who are not impressed, that means that we weren't going to see the president for the rest of the day. So um, we found out, you know, we should we should look. Eleven Americans killed in a terrorist attack. You know, that is. I'm I'm trying to think. Um, we had the Boston bombing. I don't. I, I I'm just going to have to look to compare stats and numbers. That's that's an enormous amount of people uh, to lose in a terrorist attack, and. We didn't see from the we didn't see the president. Now he's reportedly coming out today, but these are moments um, when you have Americans killed by terrorists. You have we don't know yet if there are Americans. We think that there could be Americans held hostage by Hamas, but we don't know yet. So it's possible to have American hostages. We know we have at least eleven that the State Department has confirmed killed. And don't forget, Tudor, we have probably two hundred thousand Americans that live in Israel or are visiting Israel right now. I know of church groups that are there that can't get out, people that are there on, uh, you know, we're there on holiday visiting. So what about all of those Americans that could be trapped there? Um, We have a pretty poor record in this administration on leaving Americans behind. Last I checked, there's still Americans left behind in Afghanistan. So after the disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan, when we had 13 dead Americans, and, and as I said, Americans that are still left behind, I would think, that this administration would say, you know, this is a moment whenever the American people need to really hear from our president. But he went underground yesterday. What is the hesitation? I mean, what is the fear of him coming out? Uh, really, I, I think yeah. that the American people are wondering, why are you not here? I mean, he didn't really he did. He's never talked to the families of the 13 that were lost in Afghanistan. He has now not come out and discussed this. And and to me, we go, man, he's fearful. And I don't want the president of the United States to be fearful. And I don't think the rest of America feels comfortable knowing that he's fearful and hiding behind the walls of the White House. You know, I don't know exactly why he can't rise to the moment. I don't know if it's a product of, of just his age and his and his mental capacity and his ability to do so. Um, he's given some pretty divisive speeches. I, I, I don't really know why he can't rise to the moment. He's certainly a shell of the politician that he used to be. I feel like the Biden of 20 years ago wouldn't wouldn't be, you know, hiding in the White House after 11 Americans were killed. So I, I don't I, I don't know why I do. I do have a sneaking suspicion that there's a little bit of a guilty conscience in this administration. And what do I mean by that? Mm-hmm. They know that their Iran policy has been an abject failure. And they have had a couple, you know, several really big foreign policy failures. They've had they've had two big foreign policy failures. Now they've had a third. So what was the first one? Obviously, the disastrous withdrawal 
uh, from Kabul in which, you know, the Taliban took over in a number of days and weeks. We were caught by surprise. We all remember, you know, just how shocked we were to see that the president just clearly was not in control of the situation and what happened. That was a huge blow to Biden. I don't think he's ever recovered from that. And it was, and it's something that was just enormously shameful, enormously shameful that we left in the way we did. And then you look at the administration's failure to deter Putin from invading Ukraine. You know, we have the worst war on European soil since World War II. And that was another massive deterrence failure by the administration. You know, their Biden's goal, their stated policy goal was to deter Putin from invading Ukraine. And they failed at that. So you have the failure of, of Afghanistan, the failure to deter Putin from invading Ukraine. Um, and now, listen, I am by no means saying or implying that these terrorists, uh, you know, attacked Israel because of Biden. That's 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 silly. I'm, I'm not saying that. But when you look at this administration's failure towards Iran, how does that impact what happened on Saturday? Well, first of all, they chose to appease Iran for the past three years. So what does that mean? That means that they're not enforcing the legal sanctions that are on the books. So there's U.S. sanctions uh, on Iran right now that the Biden administration refuses to enforce. Ergo, they're able to sell their oil again and they're getting billions of dollars of revenue uh, lining, lining their pockets. And what do they do with that money? We know that multiple Republican and Democratic administrations have certified that Iran is the world's leading state sponsor of terrorism. So they take that money that they have gleaned from us not enforcing the sanctions and they give it to Hamas. They fund Hamas, they train Hamas, they equip Hamas, they provide them with all the military weaponry. So the attacks that we saw on Saturday could not have happened without the Islamic Republic of Iran. Uh, they, Hamas is one of their many proxies. This is, by the way, this is the policy they pursue throughout the Middle East. So the Biden team has chased around Iran for the past three years in this appeasement policy, not enforcing sanctions, begging them to get back into the JCPOA, which is the Iran deal, begging and cajoling them they didn't get back in and not being firm with them. So under the Trump administration, under Secretary Mike Pompeo, we had a very clear policy with Iran. We said, you touch the hair of any American. If any of your proxies do this, then we hold you responsible. Because what was happening at the time, Tudor, is Shia militias in Iraq had tried to attack our embassy. They had tried to overrun our embassy. They were trying to kill American service members in Iraq. And so we told the Iranians, if the Shia militias that you fund, train and equip in Iraq, similar to what they do uh, for, to Hamas, for Hamas, if these Shia militias touch the head, touch the hair of an American, we are holding you responsible. And so we set a clear line. And because this administration hasn't done that, Iran's terrorist proxies throughout the region feel emboldened to behave, behave in the manner that they did and, and do this. So I think that, listen, you, you know, they're running for cover. They just gave $6 billion, a what, less than two weeks ago, and a ransom payment that they paid Iran. And they immediately came out to her and said, oh, well, the, the $6 billion is sitting in a bank account in Qatar. It hasn't gone to them yet. Okay. Number one, somebody should Google the word fungible in the administration and understand that money is fungible. Number two, you've already given them uh, sanctions relief, essentially, by not enforcing it. Number three, maybe, just maybe, 
uh, this was not a good time to give them $6 billion. And you know what? If that money is sitting in a bank account in Qatar still, then take the freaking money back. Well, and I don't think that this was a surprise that they just suddenly called Iran and said, hey, guess what? We're going to actually give this money to you. I'm sure this has been a negotiation that's been going on since the Biden administration took over. And they have known for quite a long time that they were going to negotiate this money back to them. And that and I mean, this attack, it has taken months, if not years to plan. And Iran is the one who says go or no go. So we know that this came from them feeling comfortable, that they were ready to to launch this attack. And that has to be it has to be taken into account that this money was there. Now, we've talked a lot about the Democrats, but I want to talk a little bit about the Republicans, because obviously we have a bunch of candidates that are running for president right now. This is a big deal. Who is ready for the foreign policy for what's going on in Ukraine, for what's going on with China, for what's going on with Israel, who is actually ready to handle this. And we saw Nikki Haley come out and she said, end Hamas. Vivek Ramaswamy is, he's criticizing her for this response. He's saying she sounds ridiculous saying this, but she was yelling and that this was silly. I mean, do you want a candidate who is going to say, hey, let's let's just stay calm and really think about this? Or do you want someone who knows exactly where they stand on foreign policy and who they stand with? Yeah, Vivek needs to have a seat. Um, he is, you know, it's borderline offensive, uh, you know, what he is saying, you know, Nikki Haley. And, and, and listen, I'm, I have not endorsed Nikki Haley, but just looking at the two of them in this in this fight. Um, and, and there's listen, there's some things that Vivek does that I think are great, right? Like he goes into media that no other Republican will go into. I was just listening to him on the is it the uh, not the shade room? I forget. I forget the name of it. But I listened to um, a, you know, definitely left of center podcast where he went in and, and took bullets and answered all their questions. So I appreciate that he does this. But in this particular instance, this is not the moment to play politics and try to get one up on one of your primary competitors, especially whenever she, her words about ending Hamas resonated so much with the Jewish people uh, and the victims of terror attacks. So yes, she said in Hamas, which is what we said after 9-11, after Al-Qaeda attacked us and we wanted to, and we wanted to end Al-Qaeda and end the terrorist threat from Al-Qaeda. So yes, that's, that's how the victims of terrorism feel uh, in the moment. And I just think this was a cheap political stunt um, by somebody who uh, probably just really doesn't understand the situation. And and I'd be happy to brief him and talk to him and explain it. But he needs to understand that there is a difference between disagreeing on policy, which is fine, and the emotions of the moment that so many people felt uh, after a terrorist attack. And, and, and that's the same emotions that we as Americans felt after 9-11 and how we wanted to end al-Qaeda and end the terrorist threat uh, from, from coming to the United States from Afghanistan ever again. So it is perfectly, perfectly reasonable that Israel should want to end the Hamas terrorist threat uh, that that is emanating from Gaza, the same way that we wanted to end the Al Qaeda terrorist threat that was emanating from Afghanistan. It's the same thing. So let's take a quick commercial break. We'll continue next on the Tudor Dixon podcast. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. 
In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. And recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry. Back to Iguodala. Up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Do you think that this is a moment for Nikki Haley that other candidates won't have? I think we're coming off of a pandemic where people started to go, wow, this World Health Organization that we trusted, that we believed in, we're starting to see that you can kind of be bought and paid for in that organization. And that organization can lean politically rather than for truly the health of the people. And now people are looking at the United Nations and going, what do we not know about the United Nations? And as the ambassador to the United Nations, she's coming out and saying, hey, look, they're saying they want a ceasefire. This is why I can tell you this group needs to be reformed in some way. This is not a good group that has come together. They're not fighting for the best things in the world right now. Is she in a unique position where the other candidates can't speak to this in the way she can? Well, I think, um, uh, it, listen, she certainly, as you an ambassador, uh, can talk about this, as, as you said, firsthand experience. Um, there can be a ceasefire after the Hamas threat is eliminated. Sure, then we can talk about a ceasefire. But I think we're a long way from that. Um, You know that I worked for President Trump. And one of the things that has been so hard about the past three years is whenever, you know, we were talking about uh, Kabul and Afghanistan and that disastrous withdrawal. 
it was so hard in that moment. It's been so hard to watch the Russian, you know, war in Ukraine because these are things that you know wouldn't have happened and didn't happen uh, under President Trump and under his leadership. And you know, when I look at at the end of the Trump administration and those final months leading up to the election. What did we do? Well, we signed the ink on the Abraham Accords, the first peace deals between Israel and Arab states in 26 years. So Trump handed Biden peace in the Middle East, right? He handed he handed him historic peace deals. And what did you see? Within three months, Hamas had started attacking Israel. And now you see three years into Biden's presidency, uh, you see the worst attack on the Jewish people since the Holocaust. That never, ever would have happened under President Trump. And so well, that's we what he's come out. He, he, he's come out and he said that he's been very bold about saying, look, Ukraine didn't wouldn't have happened uh, under my administration. And this attack from Hamas would not have happened under my administration. And I think a lot of people, obviously, folks on the on the right side of the aisle are going, yeah, we want that back. Look, we didn't have war. We didn't have any of our service members dying. We didn't have this disastrous pull out from uh, from Afghanistan. We did not have all of these embarrassing catastrophes under the Trump administration. Is it possible that a Trump administration comes back in and these things really do start to get cleaned up? I mean, he has said he has the ability to go in and negotiate and stop some of this. And I, and I think you've made it clear that this happens not only through negotiation, but sanction and being tough. And the Biden administration has been very weak, very wobbly on the world stage. What does it look like if a Trump administration goes back in there? How does it, how does this get cleaned up quickly? You know, the analysis paralysis is what you really see coming out of this National Security Council and out of this White House. And if you look, mm -hmm. Tudor, at all the articles when you read about you know, why, why does, why did Biden slow walk the aid uh, to Ukraine, for example? You know, I'm one of the people that are old enough to remember when Trump, President Trump gave military and lethal aid to the Ukrainians, and then Joe Biden and his team stopped that aid. And they said, well, we will only give lethal aid to the Ukrainians if Putin invades. And so when you look at every article, they always say things like, well, we would do X, but we don't want to provoke Putin, right? Uh, and it's the same thing. You can go through any theater. Well, why do we have the current appeasement policy towards China, where every major U.S. official in cabinet goes to China, goes to Beijing uninvited to kiss the ring to the, of the emperor? You know, so we're doing this in every theater, right? Not just, uh, you know, not just with Russia, not just in, in the Middle East. And, and so they're always worried about, well, if we do X, then Putin or Xi Jinping or Hamas or whomever, Iran, they will overreact if we do this. You know, that's just a, a fundamentally different worldview than what we had under Mike Pompeo, under President Trump. Uh, listen, when Nikki Haley was at the U.N., when Pence was the was the vice president, uh, we all took our leadership. Of course, uh, we were able to be tough because we had a president that was tough. And we said, you know what, we're going to do the right thing and we'll see what the consequences are. When we moved the U.S., when President Trump moved the U.S. embassy to Jerusalem, he said, wait a minute. The law of the land states that the U.S. Embassy must be in Jerusalem and Congress has to sign a waiver. I think it was every six months, at least once a year. Congress had to pass a waiver to keep the U.S. Embassy in Tel Aviv as opposed to putting it in Jerusalem where the law of the land said it was supposed to be. Trump said, that makes no sense to me. Everybody said you would start World War III by putting the U.S. Embassy in Jerusalem. Spoiler alert to your audience, Tudor. 
We didn't start World War III. They said the same thing whenever we stood for Israel uh, and their and their right uh, and sovereignty over the Golan Heights when we stood by them, for, you know, over their settlements. All of these um, issues and all these things, we said we are going to stand firm and strong with our allies and friends. We're going to defend our allies and friends, and we're going to punish our enemies. And when we took out Qasem Soleimani, who was head of the Iranian Quds Force, IRGC Quds Force, who's head of, head of IRGC, one of the world's leading terrorists, probably the world's leading terrorist at the time, they definitely said we were going to start World War III then, right? We did not, because people knew, wait a minute. This is a president. This is a secretary of state. This is an administration that actually means what they say. They're actually going to follow through when they have a threat. And, and that's where we need to get back to in our presence on the world stage, in my opinion. You may not like it. You may not agree with it, but you know where we stand. Well, I, I think that, like I said, when we started this podcast, if you don't agree with taking care of our allies, then you maybe are in the wrong country. This is not the place for you. We have allies, we take care of them, and we certainly do not support terrorists. Sadly, Iran is the number one sponsor of terror in the world, and we need to be aware of that. We need to be aware of what they're willing to do to their own people, let alone uh, people outside of their country. And it is a concern for the entire United States of America. Morgan Ortegas, thank you so much for taking time to talk to us about this today. As I said, we are praying for the people of Israel. We'll, we will continue and we'll continue to follow this and love to have you back as we get more in detail as to what's happening over there in the Middle East. Happy to. Thank you so much, Tudor. Yes, thank you. And thank you all for joining us on this episode of the Tudor Dixon podcast. You can subscribe at the com or head over to the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts and join us next time on the Tudor Dixon podcast. Have a blessed day. Two thirds of Americans are at risk to experience a blackout. Are you ready to protect your family? You could be with the Patriot Power Solar Generator 2000X. This new solar generator has double the capacity and is expandable, so you can run the big appliances like your fridge even longer. Best of all, this new solar generator is fume free, safe to use inside, and never needs gas ever. Over 150,000 Americans trust Patriot Power Generators. Go to fourpatriots.com/tutor to get your solar generator. Now you'll even get a solar panel included free. Go to fourpatriots.com slash tutor. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.